everybody, and welcome to a post-race edition of the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast. This is the most unusual podcast situation I've ever been in. Um, <laughs> that was the voice of Nate Ryan, who is my chauffeur, back to Charlotte from Atlanta Motor Speedway. We, we just literally pulled out of the Atlanta Motor Speedway Tunnel. We're still on track property. We're headed back to Charlotte. We have a very long drive ahead of us. And instead of doing the podcast at the track and then making it back to Charlotte even later, we're probably not going to get back till like 2 a.m. or whatever, or later as it is. Um, yeah. So earlier. earlier than that. Earlier than that, hopefully. Okay. Nate says we're trying to put. Nate's driving, so I'm a little bit worried. He seems to think that he's going to be able to beat the estimated time on Google Maps. That's always a dangerous proposition, but. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, so we're coming to you semi-live. I mean, it's live to us, not to you. From Nate's rental car. Um, we got a nice uh, Hyundai Santa Fe, Nate. Good pick. I had no. Oh, yeah, I did have something to do with it, actually, this time. Yeah, you're the one that picked it up, and you picked it out. Hertz like, gave me this President's Circle option, which uh, this is why people listen to this podcast, is to hear about travel minutia. So let me just tell you. I consulted Jeff. We had a choice of five full-size cars, and I went with the the one um, kind of crossover um, mini SUV option because I thought it would be good if we were sitting up above traffic, which Jeff and I are. I think it worked out well. Nate, you're talking with your hands, and it makes me somewhat nervous because your hands were both off the wheel when you were doing that. Should I be concerned? <laughs> no. Why? <laughs> Why are you already making stuff up like two minutes into this podcast? <laughs> okay. I really hope that somebody eventually listens to that podcast because that will mean that will mean that we made it to our destination safely where I was able to edit it and the end of the story will be that um we didn't wreck on the way home from Charlotte. So that would be cool. So Nate, uh yeah, we're pulling out right now of Atlanta Motor Speedway onto the uh onto the main little highway here. Well, kind of a weird uh Atlanta race for me because Lots of su- surprises in a in a way that I didn't expect. Um, I think, for one thing, the new aero package didn't quite live up to what I was thinking it was going to be, especially with the worn-out track surface. But at the same time, you know, you were sitting next to me in the media center, and you're like, hey, uh, I don't really mind this race. I think it's not a bad race. So what's what's the deal? I, it, it felt, Jeff, a lot like most Atlanta Motor Speedway races. Most 500-mile races of Atlanta uh, have long stretches of green, uh, usually have, in recent years, uh, a rash of yellows at the end, which I think we saw here. I think there were three yellow flags in the last 100 laps or so. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I thought there was passing. And I, I know that some of my colleagues were perhaps taking a different view of this situation um and i know that there's always whenever nascar introduces new rules there's always going to be a lot of focus on how is this going to impact the race and unfortunately that frequently leads to a lot of hyperbole uh about how it might actually impact the race in this case i think it had an impact on the race but i think that it wasn't so discernible that you were going to like jump out of your seat but i also don't think that means it was necessarily uh, a subpar race. I thought it was a decent race. I thought, like many Atlanta races recently, it had drama at the end. It had an uh, unpredictable 
outcome. Uh, the outcome was in doubt until the last 20 laps, which I think uh, is always good. And I think Brad Keselowski, Jeff, I'd like to get your take on this. He said something really interesting post-race. He made the case that we heard all weekend that drivers don't want this track paved, repaved, like Atlanta is pr- apparently planning to do at the end of this month. And Brad Keselowski, his, his way of lobbying for that was to say he couldn't have made the winning pass on Kyle Larson on fresh pavement. It only happens with the old pavement. So what, what do you think about that? Well, I'm sure that's probably the case. Um, at the same time, I personally felt that last year's race was a better race. I know you refuted that when we were talking in the media center. You're like, no, pretty much it was pretty much the same race. But I don't know. There was something about last year's race where I felt like they were moving around and, and running side by side a bit more. And, and, of course, I have no evidence to back this up. I'm just feeling this way. I, I seem to recall remembering that it was a, a better race this today i mean maybe it was just such a butt kicking and that's why it looked like that because it was sort of reminiscent of the coke 600 butt kicking from last year it you know kevin harvick just totally dominated and and that made it seem like it wasn't as competitive but i I did get to talk to dale jr after the race and i kind of asked him about it and i said so why was the race so and he filled in with uneventful you know, because I, you know, he yeah. knew what I was going for, and he well, said, "Look, uneventful for the guy who finished 30th. Well, but but I I had prefaced that by saying, "Geez, you know, I thought this was going to be a crazy race where you guys were all going to be wrecking, or you know, all over the place." And and he said, "Look, if you go back in that 2005 race where Carl Edwards beat Jimmy Johnson, you go back and watch that Carl Edwards splitter or the front end, whatever, was six inches off the ground." Now they're all sealed down, and you can't unlearn what they've learned through engineering. Even though they took downforce off, he said, no, you have to take more downforce off. You want to start wrecking. And, but he said, you know, the side force that they all have, it's like the trucks where you get out of shape a little bit, and it saves you. He said, you know, they're, they're all, they have, all have such flat uh, quarter panels that it, it, it sort of you, you yaw out, and it turns you back, and it helps you save it. So... Yeah, they're moving around a little bit more. Yeah, they've taken downforce away, but you're not going to get what, you know, the old school 90s type of feel. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. You make a good point that there weren't a lot of wrecks, and I, I might have expected at least one or two more of these cautions to be caused by uh, guys losing control, spinning out, uh, something going crazy on a restart and collecting many cars. We didn't see anything like what we saw at, Daytona 500, the, at the Daytona 500 the week earlier. But I'll also say... To tie it back to your man, Dale Jr., um, his man, Steve Letarte, his former crew chief, was talking to him this past week, and he, he predicted it would be somewhat like this. He, he predicted the, uh, the impact of the shorter spoiler was going to be much more felt on like the Xfinity side than the cup side because the cup side, I, 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 all of those technical explanations you just gave Jeff are great, and that's why Dale Jr. is such a good quote. In, in many ways and that he can explain that stuff he can he can put that side force stuff in like layman's terms um but uh i i think like steve Wittard had a really good point in that cup teams just they're so advanced now and they have these like high fidelity simulations that are so precise that they know what they're getting into even when the blade on the back of the car now is is barely noticeable they they can put a setup in and just know how to how to give something to their drivers that they're going to be able to, to to get a handle on. Um, so yeah, I I think like for all of those factors, yes, maybe 
it, it we didn't see guys quite as out of shape as last year as you're saying um you know maybe it's just because the simulation programs improved and they were able to bring better optimized setups so even with a shorter spoiler it didn't matter as much but i still feel like it was again an atlanta race in which you didn't know who was going to win even though a guy led more laps here than ever before without winning i never felt like kevin harvick was in command of this race up until that final pit stop you know it never felt like it it always felt like i hate saying this no offense to kevin harvick and rodney childers but i got a few messages from people asking during the course of this race how do we think the number four is going to let this one slip away and it's a horrible way to look at it but when you've had it happen now five times in in the last six races at atlanta uh, it's somewhat unavoidable and even though it you know it comes at their expense i think that kind of intrigue did make this an interesting race to follow toward the end. Nate, I want to keep mining our disagreements here because <laughs> we, good. We, we love conflict. We, did, well, we, usually, we usually agree on most things. So the fact that we at least have some separation on a few topics, um, I, I think is worth pursuing. One of them is Kevin Harvick because during the race, you tweeted a bunch of, you know, lap stats where he had led all these different laps in Atlanta. And you said, it's no surprise Kevin Harvick's doing this because here's his previous stats. And I wrote back to you on Twitter and said, well, damn, if you listen to the Nate Ryan NBC podcast, which I faithfully do because it's way better than this podcast, by the way. No, seriously. I mean, Nate's, first of all, side note, if you don't listen to the Nate Ryan NBC podcast, I guess officially the NASCAR and NBC podcast, um, you're really missing out. Honestly, there's such great insight. He has way better interviews than the untitled Jeff Gluck podcast. No offense to you personally, since you were one of the, <laughs> yeah, I know that was like the most backhanded compliment of all time. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it that way. until it came out of my mouth. You, you, you just threw shade as the kids would say today in a way I've never seen before. I appreciate it. I feel good about it. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> you really should listen to this podcast. I listened to this Rodney Childers interview that Nate did came out right before the season started and Rodney Childers talking about, well, yeah, you know, it's going to take some time for us to get up to speed, you know, with the transition to Ford. I think it'll take us a while to get competitive a little bit. And I'm thinking, wow, man, Rodney Childers being really honest here. He's, he's telling it like it is in this whole podcast. And he's saying they're probably not going to, you know, it's gonna, they're just going to slip up a little bit. It's going to take some adjustment. They're not going to be with Hendrick anymore. They don't have the same setup notes probably. And it's going to be different. So, you know, the Daytona 500 doesn't matter because it doesn't translate to Atlanta. So I was expecting Kevin Harvick to come out and not be that competitive. I thought he was going to be more like how the Gibbs cars were today where you're like, whoa, what's going on with that? And yet, so that's what I'm saying is I was surprised. You weren't surprised. Why Why were you not surprised? That, that they're so good. That, um, I, I, th- I think that well, during the course of that podcast, I just I got the impression the way Rodney was talking and the way, you know, he, he made a point of saying last year we kind of went intentionally slow. We, we were tired of our cars getting taken to the R&D center. We were, you know, we were tired of guys putting a target on our backs in 2014 when they won the championship in 2015. And so he, he told Kevin Harvick, we are going to try to stay under the radar in 2016 and avoid running fast and practice and in qualifying, which, totally goes against like the central philosophy of what makes Harvick and Childers so good. So the fact to me that they were recommitting to this virtually unachievable goal of 
Rodney Childers just says it, I, and and Harvick loves it. He's he's talked about that this was a big selling point with Rodney was, I want to win every practice, I want to qualify on the pole, I want to lead every lap, and I want to win every race. And now it sounds unachievable, but the fact that that is that is the goal, and that team feeds off of that, they don't feel pressure because of it. They feel comfort because of that. I think when I heard him say that they were going to go back to that, even with all the other things he was trying to throw out there about oh tough transition, oh you know Ford, we don't know how it'll go. Just the fact that they were back on point on their mantra told me they were going to be great. And then, you know, the, the, the side point to this, Jeff, is that I, mean, I don't think anybody thought the Ford transition, granted, it's, we're, we have a very small sample size of two races, but it's going way better than I certainly would have anticipated, not just for Stuart Haas, but we heard Roger Penske talk about it in post-race tonight and I asked him you know you know how is this going because normally Penske doesn't play nice with other teams who are under the same manufacturer umbrella and I don't I'm not saying that they and Stuart Haas Racing are working seamlessly but um, as he said like they're, they're benchmarking off each other and that's driving them and he actually said that they helped Penske helped a little bit with Stuart Haas's chassis in the preseason which I found astounding like they never did that when they were working to my knowledge with Roush or back in their Dodge days with Everham, there was always a, a point of friction. So um, I'm not saying that like they're working hand in hand, but I think clearly the Ford thing is working better than people anticipated. And I think it might be working because as Penske, as Roger Penske said, there might be better camaraderie than we could have anticipated between uh, Penske and Stuart Haas. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I actually wasn't in the media center for that. I was writing my little quick hits thing and trying to, concentrate so I, I'd left the media center but so I, I hadn't heard that that's that was news to me that that is interesting though I, I do think that you can tell a lot from these first couple races um, as far as Atlanta and Vegas not counting Daytona and even though the focus will be on Harvick's mistake and the number four team coughing up another possible win I mean they probably could have like 30 wins in the last three years and they only have 12 um, even though that's the case, I think there's a ton of positive for them to take from this because if I was a Harvick fan, I'd be like, damn, we're going to be okay. And that's, you know, you, you can dwell on the mistakes and I'm sure that that'll get a lot of the talk and you going into next week. But I, I would look at it as a wow factor just cause I, I didn't see that, that coming. But I, I agree. You're, I understand what you're saying that these are smart people and um, it is going better than people thought, but they, they are, they were going to get it right. The, the good teams sort of rise to the top. Um, and speaking of that awkward transition, perhaps, but uh, I want to talk about another team that had um, at least a couple drivers have good days. And that's Hendrick motorsports because they had two drivers in the top five. It didn't look for a while. Like, I mean, they were, they were almost all lapped except for chase Elliott. Casey Kane ends up rallying. Dale Jr. had a terrible day because he sped, and then he had all these flat tires. Jimmy Johnson, all this weird stuff happened to him, too. I, he was my pick to win. But I talked to Casey Kane after the race. You you were there, too. You, we t- talked a little bit about the speeding penalties, but also, if you look at it, that's a pretty positive sign for Kane fans, wouldn't you say? Really positive. Um, I was surprised. I went back and looked, and, man, I hope I have this right as we're traveling down 1941 i hope i have this right that his last top five 
was a third at Charlotte last October, and I I thought it was even longer than that. And I believe, I hope I'm right on this, the Racing Reference said that he had three top fives last year. That's correct, Nate. You're right. I'll give you the peace of mind because I looked it up. He had three top fives last year, three top fives the year before, and they were all fourth-place finishes except for that third place at Charlotte. And before that, the, the last top five he had had was the win in Atlanta. So, wow. I mean, it's been a pretty dry spell for Kane. Yeah, and um, first, thanks for the, the peace of mind because that would have kept me up until we reached Charlotte. That would have been a long, uh, awkward four hours plus. Actually, that might have been good because I need you to stay awake. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, maybe we'll just, like, make up some more alternative facts <laughs> that, like, can keep me going here. Um, but no, like I talked to Kane last year on the, on the podcast as well. NASCAR and NBC podcast again. Thanks for the, thanks for the plug, Jeff. And I think he felt toward the end of last year, they were turning things around, but <sighs> I mean, when you look at Casey Kane's situation, um, I think it's just, it's fair to say that like I mean, <laughs> Hendrick Motorsports has four cars and the, the guy who is in the most precarious position year after year after year and if you're wondering like hey if Hendrick was going to make a driver change who would it be you don't have to ask that question very much or look very far I think Casey would admit that well maybe you would admit it publicly or on the record but I mean he's been the, the laggard of those four cars and he he talked about that on this podcast I did with him um I I don't think it's like a source of motivation for him and Keith Rodden I think they're very aware of that driver and crew chief but um I, I think that it's it's got to be a little, I don't know, maybe, I think he talked about this, I want to say unsettling at times, because um, Casey's kind of on the backside of his career now, which is crazy, because he's been around for 13 years. I can remember in 2004 when he was this fresh-on-the-scene rookie, and we all thought he was going to win championships, and he's certainly won his share of races, but it hasn't gone the way he wanted Hendrick. And to start out the season this way, when his three teammates all got popped for speeding Johnson Earnhardt Jr. and Chase Elliott that he is you know usually he's the guy who kind of drives over his head sometimes and crashes this time he was the patient one who didn't put a wheel wrong on in the pits and you know good for him starts out with a uh, a, a fourth place finish what was really interesting and um, I, I wrote the complete quote on this on on my website jeffgluck.com if you didn't know that um, in my in my race recap but he was talking about how they they were way off actually to start the day and he said it was the same feeling he's had the last couple of years where he starts out and he's like nope this car pretty much is not working for me but typically their day never gets any better and they can't fix it you know they can't get it driving how he wants the positive from today was they fixed it they got it to where he was competitive again so he's super yeah. confident and optimistic that whoa yep. hey we made it better. We were way off. We made it better. There's maybe some light at the end of the tunnel here, you know? Yeah. You know, just thinking back now, you say that, Jeff, um, and, and thinking about the interview in, in the pits, it, you could see it on his face. And there was a sense of relief. Sometimes Casey, <laughs> when he doesn't want to be interviewed, he, it's he, it's easy to tell. And today, like, he was he was very cordial and um, in a good mood, as he should be. And I hadn't even thought about that. That's a great point that he and Keith were, were able to improve the car because that has been a downside for them. And, uh, you know, you don't want to, like, pick on the fact that his teammates had bad days. I, I, that doesn't make them happy. But the fact that they were first in class among, uh, when they rarely are, uh, I'm sure that's a sense of pride for them. And the other thing about it, too, 
on the on the Kane note is he's now eighth in points because he has two top tens to start the year. Um, he's so he's not coming from a place where he's in a huge deficit. You know, he's wrecked or at Daytona or something and start the season. He's got to dig out of it to get back in the picture. He already has a strong start, so I think Kane has really been lacking for confidence, and this is something where it'll it'll really benefit him. I think we're Nate. We're coming up to our our highway uh, exit now. Checking the. Did you see the person on the median just now? Okay. Oh yeah, this is a little bit of a shady area, Nate. Well, it's just dark. It's just not well lit. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to get out of this lane. This is a turn only or turn only lane. I think we want to be in this lane, right? Um, uh, oh no, you're right. Yeah, sorry, Nate. Yeah. All right. Well, just keep talking, Jeff, because I gotta get us. <laughs> so Nate's Nate's trying to make an illegal move. Oh, very nice. Clear, Nate. You're clear. Okay. We're on the highway on ramp. We were in the turn only lane. Nate made a Joey Logano block to to whatever veteran was behind us, and we are safely in the clear now. Onto I seventy five, headed north toward downtown Atlanta. Nate, what do you think of that move? Uh, I hope that nobody in a position of authority saw it. And I just want to note for the record that other people did it too. And I just changed lanes. It wasn't like, it wasn't a legal maneuver. It was just, I just changed lanes to get on 75. Sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, No penalty. It looks like no penalty. I I, uh, don't see any lights in your mirror. And it looks like the guy behind you is not going to wreck us. So yeah, we're, we're on. We're continuing towards Charlotte. The NASCAR... Monster Energy, nope, sorry, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, that's what it's called, uh, also is continuing on, Nate. Yes. How about that awkward transition? Boom. I was, I thought you were going to go with, I mean, penalty, I was trying to set you up for, you know, moving violations, penalties. Oh, yeah. That's good. We should talk about that. We should talk about the speeding penalties. I totally glossed over that. Dude, what was up with the speeding penalties? I know. There were 13 of them, and it's not like there have been races like this before. And by the way, this does feel a little bit like whistling past the graveyard when you were talking earlier about, like, me trying to make record time on the way home. Again, like anyone in authority listening to this podcast, um, I I have my cruise set at 65 right now. I always set my cruise at the speed limit or or thereabouts. Um, So I am not intending to break the speed limit as we drive. Yeah, can I just pause for a second because... On the way down here, I noticed that, you know, instead of, you have the cruise control set, and instead of adjusting it with your brake or gas pedal or whatever, you're just pressing the buttons. Every when, Whenever the speed changes, you're just like boom, 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 boom. You'll go up five notches or down five notches or whatever. Um, you, you like the cruise control. It's probably due to the fact that I don't have cruise control in the car I've owned for most of my life. So when I, t- when I have it, I tend to take advantage of it. Okay, that makes sense. So that would make you avoid having a speeding penalty, something that many drivers could have used today, Nate. Yeah, it was crazy, Jeff. Uh, You know, again, we've seen this before. Uh, I can remember a Pocono race four years ago where they had more than a dozen guys popped, and it was mysterious, and nobody could figure it out, and guys laughed it off afterward. I think today we had a little bit more clarity, 13 speeding penalties, and I think we knew that First of all, three of the four Hendrick cars, I think Johnson and Earnhardt Jr., you can attest to this, Jeff, because you talked to Dale, um, both said they were going to go back to the shop and check it out. I mean, it seemed like things might not have been calibrated perfectly correctly. Obviously, pit speeding is an inexact science. There's no speedometer. There's no button you hit to keep you limited. 
there's just um, your tachometer and a system of lights that drivers usually use to stay under the speed limit. And Dale Jr. said that he hit those lights perfectly. And he got busted in four straight sections on his first stop. So, and then, and then Johnson said something similar. So I think there was something up possibly with the Hendrick calibration. I think drivers were a little bit rusty. Kane alluded to the fact that um, he thought drivers gave away time at Daytona. So everybody was like more on the limit at Atlanta. And then, of course, you had the first time for the expanded pit road uh, timing lines. You guys just missed an amazing Nate move. Uh, <laughs> Nate, what are you doing? This. It's the last time we tape a podcast in the car. <laughs> if if you guys are hearing this seriously, it's going to be amazing the way this is going. <laughs> Nate is making some moves. Honestly, Brad Keselowski would be jealous of your moves, Nate. No, you, I I am not proud of these moves. And just for the record, that didn't involve another car. That was just I I was a little late on my exit onto the 285 on ramp. Not yeah, because you had to. I I made him mute the um, Google Maps guidance, the GPS guidance for the podcast, so that he went. And then, so he's trying to figure out which lane to be in, and it's it's taking us a different way. It's taking us around Atlanta. It must be because of Monster Jam or something like that, yeah. or the soccer game. Uh, traffic is a factor, and, and so it, it's doing something a little different. So Nate had to make a last second. It was sort of like when you're faking out coming into the pits. Yeah. And you make yeah. just, I mean, you you may, you may have missed the commitment line, Nate, but yeah. there, still no penalty. But it was, it's like if you pitted on your own with no cars around you and no one else was really in the picture. It was just you. And so, yeah, I just, I just like barely got around the cone and, and made, made the ramp. So anyway, uh, yeah, the last point there, though, was uh, expanded pit road timing lines, which we saw last year. Uh, they introduced those midsummer, and it had an impact on a lot of races, but every track I think had had them except with the exception of a couple that were where NASCAR only goes once. And one of those obviously is Atlanta. So this is the first, it, it, it's a little bit of a lag time here for catching up to something that a lot of drivers had gotten used to at many tracks, um, you know, more than six months ago. So that could have been part of it too. And, uh, I don't know. What, what do you think? What did you make it? Did you, did Dale jr. Say, say anything when you talked to him about it? I actually only asked him about the, Aero package, so I didn't hear what he said about the speeding at all. But I I think that this was more of a a situation where they were just making mistakes. Where that I still think that Pocono race a few years ago there was something up with the yeah. pit road or yeah. something. I don't know. I think NASCAR might have been. Now they said no, and but there was a lot of drivers being busted all over the place that one Pocono race. That was weird. But anyway, since you just made an awesome Dylan-like move to stay out when we thought you might be coming in. Um, on a lane, it seemed like, uh, or according to an article I read from Dustin Long on um, NBCSports.com/NASCAR after the race, I, I missed this tweet. He wrote about Delana Harvick's tweet, right. basically calling out Austin Dillon for staying out, even you know, because they said, "Oh, stay on the track," and he was losing power or whatever. And Delana Harvick was putting all these angry emojis, and it seemed like, you know, translation, she thought it was a douche move, essentially, from Dylan. Did you think it was a douche move in that situation, or do you understand why he stayed on the track? I think I'd have to go back and watch the entire thing to fully uh, comment, Jeff, because I, I, as always, like, you know, things can change when you see the replay and you have the benefit of, of, uh, 
just having a chance to fully digest it. And so I would reserve judgment. All I will say is that I be clearly there's a history here, uh, and it's it's a delicious one if you like these types of storylines in NASCAR. I mean, I I don't think, I mean, I don't want to say there's no love lost between the Harvicks and Austin Dillon or Ty Dillon or Richard Childress, but there's just there have been so many episodes here that have happened over the last five years between these these two groups that it's not like they're warring factions or anything like that, but like there's. There's been enough, and it's ha- it keeps happening that you can't help but just wonder: Is there something more that we're not seeing here? Because, like, they they don't really, and and perhaps it's the personalities involved, but they they don't hesitate to kind of like make it a deal. I mean, I know you know Austin really well, much better than me, and you, you might have perspective on it, just beyond like whether or not what he did was was unfair, but like maybe how he views, uh, you know, the the Harvick situation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my take on what happened was that Slugger Labby realized, hey, if you come down and, and pit here, um, we're going to lose the race for sure. Maybe if you just stay on the track, keep it rolling and flip some switches, you'll get it fired up here. I don't think he was like, hey, stay on the track and cause an intentional caution so that we can screw Harvick out of a potential win. Like, it was one of those things where it happened really quickly. I I doubt that he would be that sinister about it. And and you'd think, okay, yeah, our day's ruined, so why don't we stay on the track and try to screw that guy Harvick? I just don't see that, you know. But in the context of what happened at Texas last year, where we know that you know, Harvick didn't mean to do it, but but he got into Dillon and pretty much ruined his race toward the end, and that, that caused some, some friction. And, you know, go back even to Martinsville a few years ago, and we, we know what happened in the truck race there. Um, I mean, do you think with, with all of that backstory, Jeff, do you think, like, maybe that's going through Delana's head in a situation like this, and she can't help but kind of, you know, leap? Yeah, 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 for sure. I think that's, I think they think that, but I'm just saying what I, yeah. I don't think that it was really calculated like that. But sort the, of. But that's the context, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I'm just, for to to plan it out like that it seems like you said it's it's a delicious little twist with all the history they have but it's sort of like when something happens that's accidental between Keselowski and Kyle Busch and you know that Kyle doesn't like Keselowski even though Brad has tried to like reach out to Kyle and Kyle won't um, give any reciprocate at all even after Brad wrote this blog post about him Kyle's like nope no interest in being having any relationship with that guy. So you, you know, you're like, Oh, there's, it's cause of that. But right. sometimes things just happen between, you know, all the stuff is so split second, I think in a lot of ways. So I don't, I think it's hard to plan out what the consequences are going to be. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel conflicted about this because, you know, as you, as you bring up the, the Kyle Bush Kislowski, I don't even, I don't think you would call it a feud, but just a thing. I mean, these types of things, I think are good. I, I know it's not good for them. <laughs> I know it's not fun to like be around people all the time and know that like there's some negativity or they might not like you or, or there's a little bit of, of a rivalry, but this is what built NASCAR. I mean, this is what built racing. A lot of racing as we know it is this, the, these kinds of personality conflicts. And it's, it's another classic example. I say it all the time about like what's, I think what's bad sometimes for drivers in this case, maybe they're significant others, um, is good for us. It's it's bad for them because I know they don't like 
really being in the spotlight in, in these sorts of terms. But in terms of feeding the storylines, I think that the, the people going to jeffgluck.com or listening to the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast want to hear about, I think this is the kind of intrigue that, that people want to know. I mean, it's it's the reason I follow sports. Right. I agree. I mean, I always feel like, especially NASCAR, so many people like NASCAR because of the people in the cars and the personalities in the cars more so than you know the cars themselves in a lot of cases or you know it's not all about wins it's about who handles things a certain way and um i'll i'll continue to beat that drum and and i think that that that's why a lot of in a lot of cases nascar you know needs some of these young guys to step up at times but um going forward nate what do you think about las vegas coming up um do you think that what we saw at Atlanta is reflective of what's going to be happening in the early part of the season or with what the way that this track was, maybe we'll see something different at, at a, at a Vegas, at a Fontana, things like that. I mean, I, I certainly think that Vegas will play out differently than Atlanta. Um, I don't, I think Fontana could be similar because it's, it's just as abrasive in some ways as Atlanta is and chews up tires and you, you, you could see more of a tire management race. Although for some reason, I'm sure you, you would agree with this, not just because you're a SoCal guy in many ways, but Fontana seems to put on uh, the more memorable races as far as passing and side-by-side action and all those last lap finishes. But yeah, I would think Vegas, um, I haven't covered a race there in a really long time, so I almost feel like deficient in being able to like fully analyze it but I I think it'll be more indicative maybe of who the powerhouse teams are who's really got the mile and a half packages figured out for the season well if that's the case I'm really going to be keeping an eye on Joe Gibbs racing next week because Denny Hamlin did have a good car and Matt Kenseth rallied for a, a good finish but like Kyle Busch was totally off the radar for the most part Suarez you didn't really expect that much out of him you know, Eric Jones had a really good day, um, and then he fell off at the end, I think, on the last restart. I, I actually briefly chatted with him after the race, and um, he said he had a lot of a lot more confidence after that because, you know, it, it just showed that he was doing the right things, but he didn't know. He felt like he didn't know how to get all the speed out of the car because the feedback that he was giving, he's like, does it have more in it? I don't know if I'm pushing it as hard as I could be because he's a rookie, you know? Right. But they, he still ran pretty well. Truex ran pretty well. And but I, I wonder what of Gibbs as a whole because on tracks like this last year, the last couple years, Gibbs has been the team to beat, and they sort of fell off in the chase a little bit. And now I don't really know if you know have the Fords caught up. I mean, Ford in general obviously dominated the day, so that's something I'm really going to be keeping an eye on. You know. Well, the other thing you can't ignore here, Jeff, with. Uh, the Gibbs is the Gibbs cars is that that's a new car. It's the Toyota is is brand new for 2017. It's the 2018 uh, model street model Toyota. It's not even av- available yet for purchase, which is why it was such a big splash. They introduced it at the Detroit Auto Show, and myself and a few other reporters were there, and so was Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch, and and they said all the right things. I mean, they're saying that like, and and Toyota, if you talk to Toyota racing development officials like David Wilson, they'll tell you that like, you know, they went through a test and they had very specific numbers they wanted to hit in terms of downforce. NASCAR keeps them limited when they switch cars anyway. So there's only so much they can really gain, but they felt like they hit the number that they wanted in terms of the downforce 
um, and and making sure the car was optimized on the first day. They felt like they got there. So, you know, maybe Atlanta is not the best barometer again because it's it's so hard to judge. They probably didn't even know where they were after practice, um, given the the tire wear situation and whatnot. So, hard. I, it might be a hard track to predict, but you're right. If now the I think the magnifying glass is on them at Vegas, and it doesn't become a must win by any means, but. I think they probably want to have a better weekend than they had this past weekend. Nate, any final thoughts uh, before I let you get back to concentrating on helping us arrive safely in Charlotte late tonight? I'm just hoping that we do that, first of all. Um, I'm wondering uh, about the peanut butter cookies I ate. Uh, first, I should, I should say thanks to title sponsor Quick Trip. I don't normally do this, but um, they have put like pretty much a full-service um, fairly healthy in some regards uh, convenience store in the media center which uh, has been a game changer in some ways for food and I know the media com- complains and talks too much about food and whatnot but like hey like we're all trying to eat healthy and um, I really appreciate it when the track and a title sponsor makes it easier by having fresh fruit and turkey and everything like that but maybe so not, not so much the two peanut butter cookies there were 840 calories that I just consumed uh, Wait a minute! You were telling me this morning you were t- picking up those packages after I ate a blueberry donut, and I get I had a weak moment, <laughs> and you're like looking at the donut holes and looking at the thing. You're like, guess how many calories are in these? I'm gonna shame you, Jeff. <laughs> and then you eat the cookies. Are you kidding me? Jeez, Nate. I know I'm a bad person, and I did do that. Um, yeah, the 840 calorie cookies were just like my end of the evening. I was looking for the M&M cookies because they were like 740 calories. So. I gave myself an extra hundred, but I figured, you know, we'd earned it. It's been a long weekend. Well, listen, I didn't have dinner either. And so my dinner was, I had another pastry. I, you didn't see this. You went to the bathroom right before we got in the car. I snuck another pastry out of the <laughs> thing. That was my dinner. Then I took I peanut butter crackers. So I don't know if I'm my stomach's going to make it four hours, Nate. And I also had a huge thing of coffee with all this creamer right before the end. So I get jacked up for the finish running out on pit road. So, how, what's our ETA right now? Yeah, I, I got good news for you. It, you only have to make it three hours and 43 minutes, according to Google Maps. Yeah, but then I got to drive from your place to my place. I tell you, man, I got a, I got a guest room. You're more than welcome to crash. All right. Well, if we don't crash on the way there, maybe I'll, I'll consider that. But anyway, I think that's it for now. Thank you for listening to the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast with the titled Nate Ryan, who does a great job for NBC Sports and really helped me out this weekend by carpooling with me to Atlanta. We will talk to you soon, and thanks for listening.